right, so we're continuing on a series um, through the book of Proverbs. And today, I'm going to preach one verse. But we need to have some context and background before we get to Proverbs 21, verse 13. Uh, I don't know about you, this became clear to me years ago um, when I was a pastor, uh, actually last time I was in the area at a different church years ago, uh, and I was driving up to an intersection, and at that intersection was someone who had a sign that said, uh, need help, any, uh, need money, anything helps. You've seen this before at intersections, and in fact, you've probably um, see some people at the same intersection. And I just had never really stopped to pause and think and allow like the inner turmoil to like investigate that. Like, what do we do? If you are like me, sometimes you find it really hard to think about like, what am I supposed to do in this moment? Like, I, I know that God says to give to those who ask. And I know like what I'm supposed to think, but also like, You know, they're probably going to waste it on stuff. Like, no one who uses money well ends up in that. Like, these are thoughts we have, right? Those aren't, may not be true thoughts. In fact, that last one definitely is is not. Uh, But uh, you begin to think that. And then um, I remember thinking that. I was thinking, um, uh, well, they'll, I don't know, they'll probably, you know, don't make eye contact, right? That's what, what, y'all been there too. Don't make me feel like I'm the only one alone in this right now, right? Like, you do this too. And so as, we, as I began to drive away, um, I realized that I was um, on the clock, taking a break, on my way to Starbucks to spend five bucks on a cup of coffee. And I thought to myself, how ridiculous is it that I would say they're probably going to waste my money when I was not only wasting my money. Let's be, okay, Starbucks is good, but five bucks for a cup of coffee it's, it's unnecessary. Unnecessary is the word. It's just neutral. It's not evil or good. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes on a Sunday morning, y'all need to get a cup of coffee. Like, that's the most godly thing you could do. And maybe a nap, you know? Like, but like, the, so that's not the thing. But the thing is that that's where, that's where my heart went. And that was, the, that was the first time, not just on a mission trip or uh, in places traveling with work or whatever, but the first time, just like in my day-to-day walk, where I allowed my heart to go to wrestle with, is this how I'm supposed to think? Is this the wise way to think about how I'm supposed to think and deal with those who are needy? Because did you know, in our area, there's like 20% of the people that are needy. I mean, just... As you go around where there's just their income is not as, not as much as their outcome. And there's all sorts of reasons why I'm sure I grew up in a super poor family. I know that that was a good reason. And we got there because my dad started a job and some boxes fell on him. And it was before workman's comp kicked in. And so he couldn't work. And man, we ended up like in the projects, you know, we were, and so like that was, which was looking back, I didn't, you're not, you, when you're young and you're poor, you don't know, it's just fun, you know, like when first base is the oil spot and second space is the dumpster and third base is like the, a car you hope you don't hit, like that's just life, you know, and so like, but that's, I, I, I understand, like I have little understanding of, of that, but still my heart gets to a place where those who have less asking me for things automatically, I cringe and go, no, this is 
mine and I begin to make excuses as to what they would do with it, it wouldn't be as good as me. And I just don't know if that is correct. And on top of that, I mean, as I read scripture, as you've read scripture, has the Lord ever opened your mind to understand what he desires of us, the attitude and the actions towards those who are poor, towards those who have less, towards those who need help? Uh, James 127, uh, James summed it up like this. He said, uh, pure and undefiled religion is this. Visit widows and orphans and keep yourself unstained. And in his culture, those who had nothing to offer, they had no parents. You know this. Your kids, apart from you, have nothing. Parents, right? They didn't. They, you, you probably remind them when you're angry, you brought nothing into this world. And like, you know, take, like, I don't know, I'll take you out or whatever. I don't know, whatever you say when you're angry. Like, Tolson's two and a half and still really cute. Like, I have to look away when he misbehaves because it's just, I hope he get, never gets better at lying. It's just at this point, it's, it's bad, but it's not, t- you know, you get my point. Anyways, like, like, we're, we're you, like you, you know this, that they have nothing to offer. And in James' day, in New Testament times, as a widow, a, an unmarried or used to be married uh, female, you, you, you had nothing. In a rare circumstance, if you're a high class in society, you might have something. But most had nothing. And so James says, here's, you just want to sum it all up. Here's what it looks like. Not how you get into a relationship with Christ. But here's what it looks like to live the Christ life. It looks like taking care of those who are poor. In fact, if there's nothing else we're going to learn this morning, it's just simply going to be this. That the Christ life sees the poor as a ministry to engage and not a menace to ignore. That rhymed. I didn't realize that until I said it out loud, right? That the Christ life sees the poor as a ministry to engage, not a menace to ignore. I mean, if you consider the life of of Christ and consider the Christ life that is now in you looking at the book of Proverbs we understand that Solomon who writes the book of Proverbs claims that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and fools despise knowledge and instruction and the second week we were going through this we understand that the Bible tells us God tells us in scripture that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. So that what we know now it more fully is what Solomon was alluding to, that the fear of God, understanding who he is and what he is all about. And in Christian terms, New Testament fulfillment of scripture, when you come to a place in your life where you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, that at that moment you have begun a pathway in wisdom as you seek Christ. Or, like we said, to seek Christ is to seek wisdom, and to seek true wisdom is to seek Christ. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what does it look like to live wisely toward the poor? 
in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, and all over the book of Proverbs, Solomon gives us some insight, but what we want to do is look at it through the lens of the Bible and make sure that what we're, what we're receiving from what God has to say is the testimony of Scripture over and over and over, and not just some 34-year-old guy's opinion because he had a heart check that's continued to lead on years ago at a stop sign. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13 says this. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. I'm going to read that one more time because that's, that is hard to hear in our culture, in, our, in a Western church, because we can skip over this so easily and pretty easily just ignore the reality of what this could mean. Proverbs 21, 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Uh, the word poor is just simply someone who has nothing to offer in return. So there's a different word um, uh, uh, th that refers to a beggar, someone who, who uh, uh, literally has nothing, nothing, nothing. What this passage is talking about those who uh, have very little to the point where it wouldn't matter if they had nothing, they might as well have nothing. So when you think of poor, think of someone who can give nothing in Return. That's the category. Everybody. Now, of course, those who have nothing, nothing. But uh, but the uh, uh, but looking at this passage, whoever closes his ear to those who have nothing in return, and the cry of the poor is all one word. So it's like um, someone in Solomon, I guess he he took these two words, crying out, like asking for help. That's what this particular nuance of the word means. And poor, someone who can offer nothing in return. And he said, listen, those who, have not, who can give you nothing in return and ask you for help, now look at the second half. If you ignore them, will himself call out and not be answered? And you, you know this, and this is true in Scripture, that the idea of those who can offer nothing in return is just not, uh, just not necessarily relegated to only financial needs. Like, of course, there are those who are socially poor. Of course, there are those who are another category, physically poor. Of those who can offer nothing in return physically. You may have a few of them running around in your house somewhere, you know, knee high on a grasshopper or whatever. Like, like they just, they can't give you anything back. Or they're in a physical condition where they're never going to give you what you have given them or those who are spiritually poor those who offer nothing in your walk in your relationship with christ but you see as christians we know what it is to be poor and and in fact when you just when you begin your walk with christ here's your story you were born physically into a world and had a massive impediment. Your impediment was that you were designed to be perfect and sin has severely marred that. 
we find out in Scripture that not only does it affect us physically, you were designed by God from the beginning. God designed people to be perfect, but sin messes all of it up. They are separated from God. They are now socially separated from God. They are spiritually dead to God. And in the gospel, here's your story. You who were physically separated from God and marred by sin. You who were spiritually separated from God and dead in your soul. You who were socially separated from God. He is now way holy and above and you are way below and of a completely different undeserving class. All people of all times. Here's the gospel. God came in and said, you who are lame, I will make whole. You who are spiritually dead, I will make alive. You who are socially unfit to be with me, I will not just make better, I will make a joint heir with Christ. Check out these verses if you don't believe me. In heaven, all physical poorness is done away with. Revelation 21.4, Jesus says, or John reports, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is like the very end of the Bible, like almost the last page, almost the last chapter. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or any type of pain. For all of that stuff, the former things, all of that stuff is passed away and gone. In heaven, all social Poorness, all social ability to not give back is done away with. There's no more, Galatians 3.28, Jew nor Greek. There is no more slave nor free, nor male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now looking out, Jesus does not, God in heaven does not see different types of people. He sees all who look like him because that's what he died to do. There's no spiritual poorness. Romans 8, 16 through 17. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him. That's it. We live faithfully with him in order that we, we may be glorified with him. Here's what I want you to see. The Christ life is called to bless the poor because we know what it is to be poor and to be blessed by God himself. How do we know this? Because so far it's a proverb and a 34-year-old preacher's opinion. We know this because this is the testimony of God from cover to cover in Scripture. And if you're like me, your tendency is to forget that God's heart for the poor is to be our heart for the poor. And if you're like me, you have a hard time understanding or seeing, well, then who in the world are the poor? Who is it that God is calling me to reach out to? What does it look like to... See somebody who cannot give back and to give to them. And for that question, we don't have to go far for an answer because this is a question that people who know God and his word have been asking for a long time and missing the mark. 
In fact, uh, go to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Jesus gives this beautiful parable. You've heard it before of the Good Samaritan to help correct those who know God's word, but were missing the mark on how to serve those who could not give back to them. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it begins like this in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke writes, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. A lawyer in, in Jesus' day was not um, someone who knew the legal law to be tried in court, although maybe that was something else. This particular lawyer, as being questioned by the religious leaders, was someone who knew the religious law, which in Jesus' day, there wasn't a difference between like civil law and religious law. It was pretty much all the same. And so Jesus is going along teaching, and a lawyer's job is to know the law. But what happens with lawyers, and I know there are some in the room, though they don't do this, this is a good thing, but sometimes what can happen with lawyers is they also know how to get around the law. They know it's so good, they can get around it, and that's why you hire a good lawyer. And so in that process, what this guy's job is to do is to both know the law and how it ought to be applied and to know how others might get around the law as to whether or not that's good and to know himself how to get around it. This is what a lawyer did. They knew the law inside and out, upside and down, and knew when people were teaching it appropriately and when they were not. And so this lawyer stood up to test Jesus because in the book of Luke so far, Jesus has come to visit the sick and the lame and Gentiles woo, and those who were far from God, tax collectors and sinners he's accused of being with. Like those who just simply are outside of the societal norm. And so the lawyer stood up and puts him to the test. That's what lawyers did, saying, teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, verse 26, what is written in the law? What does God say? How do you read this? And he answered, verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said back to him, you have answered correctly. That is a great answer. I know that because Jesus says it's a great answer. That is a great answer. What does it look like? How do, you, or how do you go to heaven? Love Jesus with everything, love God with everything you are, with everything that you do, and with everything that's inside of you. If you do that, if you do that, and love your neighbor as yourself, if you do that, you will live. And uh, uh, Jesus is affirming, like you just said, the answer. But this lawyer, whose job it is to get around this idea of neighbor, because that was the cultural norm. This may be apart from you or not a part of your life, but maybe you know people who there's a difference between you and them, and you use it as an excuse to ignore them completely. And perhaps you were raised at the same time, but in a different culture. Goodness, this is a part of American history, y'all. Where church culture oppressed our brothers and sisters 
who just because of a different color skin, we understand this reality. That it's a part of us, apart from God, to make differentiation and think less of others who can't seemingly offer us anything in return in this life. We do this. And then he continues on, verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, he wanted to make sure that how he was doing it was right before God, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you see what the lawyer did there? He did what I did at that intersection with the guy where I was going, man, I know that you've called me to love you and love my neighbors, but I mean, really, really, who's my neighbor here? And so Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan to help this guy see that you know God's word, but you are missing God's heart. That you might be one who knows to cry out to God, but my goodness, when you turn your ear away from those who are needy, you are showing that you do not know God and you will not be heard. That's our proverb. In fact, Jesus gets him. He tells it to him like this. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, so we know that this guy was probably Jewish. So he's in the in crowd that this lawyer is in. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. When you think of the condition of someone who can offer you nothing, think of this guy. He has no money. He doesn't have adequate clothes. If he has anything locked on him at all, it says stripped him, and he cannot even support his own life. This is the condition of the guy that Jesus is talking about. And then he continues on. He says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Someone whose job it was to represent God to the people and the people to God. That's what a priest does. Someone who knows God's law and knows God's words and leads other people to do that as well. By chance, a priest was going down this road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then Jesus continues. And then by chance, a Levite came. A Levite is like a, like a uh, kind of like a deacon in the church now. Their job was to help those who go to the temple worship properly, preparing their sacrifices, doing the right things with their tithes and offerings, taking count, probably setting up chairs, unlocking and locking doors. You know what our deacons do here, like something similar to that. And so in this story, the priest goes by and we're never told why, but I don't know, maybe uh, he had a good reason. He was on the way to the temple or didn't want to stop a beat up, dirty, dead, half dead guy. Like all sorts of reasons. We're not told why. But then the Levite comes and maybe this guy's going to help. But you know what he does? The exact same thing. When he came to the place and saw this beat up, broken, half dead man, he passed by on the other side. And then, you're, and then as the story continues on, the lawyer who's listening to this, the priest come, he doesn't help. The Levite comes, he does not help. And you just got to know that these two guys would have been heroes in Judaism at that time. Of like, these are the guys that should do something but did not. And then by chance, verse 33, a Samaritan 
Here's what you need to know. A Samaritan in Jesus' day was not just an outcast. He was an outcast of outcasts. In fact, there, was, there were often sayings that you are, that uh, uh, Samaritans are worse than dogs, which were, which were worse than Gentiles. Like they were like way below. And out of nowhere, this Samaritan comes along this road as he journeyed. And when he came to where he was, when he saw him, verse 33, he was moved with compassion. Quick fact, did you know that in the book of Luke, the only person that this verb moved with compassion, it's uh, <laughs> this is a fun word. It's a word that means literally his, um, his bowels were moved, his gut was moved. I know that's a weird translation, that's why moved with compassion. But like if you think about um, when you get uh, uh, anxious about something, you feel it in your gut. When you fall in love, you know, what butterflies in your stomach. I, I did a wedding yesterday, and you could just like they were super excited, like it, it, they, they felt it in their in their in their gut, like this. So that was the center of emotion. And so here's what the image is: that the Samaritan came across this beat up, bruised guy that could offer nothing in return, that would have died if for no intervention, and he was moved with compassion toward this. Guy, And so here's what he does. You've heard this before. He went to him and he bound up his wounds and he poured on them oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So here's what this guy did. The Samaritan saw this guy, he cleansed his wounds, he took responsibility for him, he got off of his safe horse and put him up on his horse and took him to a place to be fully healed and paid the full, pen, the full debt that this guy would incur so that his wounds could be fully healed. And then Jesus closes this out as he's telling this lawyer this response to the question, who is my neighbor? After this parable, Jesus says, which of these three do you think Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. Well, it's clear from the parable, right? It's not the one who saw the need and passed by. It's not the one who knew what God would require of his people toward those who could offer nothing in return and kept going anyways. In fact, the lawyer can't even get the words out of his mouth because saying Samaritan would be like saying your absolute worst enemy that you do not like. He said the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, interestingly, see, those who show mercy are neighbors. No, that's already been well established. He told the man, the lawyer, who said, this is what it takes to inherit eternal life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Showing that you don't actually love your neighbor. And he says, go and do likewise. Here's what Jesus did with like a right hand hook that he didn't see coming. He said, you just said that to be a follower of God 
is to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. And do you not see that you do not do this? Here's why I'm telling you this, and here's what Jesus did with this parable, and here's what we can take away from this this morning. That God's desire for you, God's call on your life, one of the ways in which the Christ life is shown from us to the world and we live it out is not simply by knowing what God says or knowing what God would require that is valued and important. But we show it when we see those who can give nothing back and when we give. When we understand that there is a need of a neighbor, a neighbor defined as those who are around us and, and have a need and are asking for help. When we see that and our hearts are stirred with compassion to move toward action, to serve that person, though we will get nothing in return, we are being like Jesus. Who, though, in the parable, this person who helped us, a Samaritan, Jesus came unlooked for. You know your story in the gospel. He took your wounds upon himself. You know your story in the gospel, that he became your sin who knew no sin, so you would become the righteousness of God in him. His high standard that he had, he swapped places with you and put them in his place, and he took your sin. You know, the, you know what it is in the gospel to have been dead and been brought to a place, safe place. And all, everything it would take to pay the penalty of your death is cared for forever. And Jesus is coming back. You know what it is to be a neighbor, neighbor to those who can give nothing in return. Because that is exactly your story as a follower of Christ. And so with that understanding, here's the sermon. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor. Whoever closes his ear to those who are asking for help and cannot help themselves. Whoever closes the ear to those who are asking for help and cannot help themselves and you know they're going to give you nothing or not able to give you anything in return. Whoever does that, here's the warning, will himself call out and not be answered. And we know that that's true because a mark of a follower of Christ is those who love God with everything and those who love their neighbor, those who are needy, those who cry out for need, those who need help and we see it, those who love their neighbor as themselves. And so what do we do with this? Well, we, we go and do likewise. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to go into a time of response right now. Because if you're in here, and I want you to know, it, like, the fact that you don't have this down perfectly, like, welcome to the club. Man, we're all trying to be more like Jesus, But now having seen this from his word, we now have to figure out what we're going to do with this, how we're going to apply this. And this week, the application of this Proverb 21 
13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered is twofold. Number one, to think of the times where you have seen needs and in your heart were hardened towards meeting that need, although you could have easily, faithfully served in that capacity. Why don't you just take a time, and if that's you, and God is convicting you of seeing need of a neighbor, and you might say, I, I, don't, I, I, live in, I live in a neighborhood and everyone's doing okay. Like, I don't, I don't know where I do that. Take some time and ask the Lord, Lord, when I'm faced with that, or when I have been faced with that, what do you show in my heart is inconsistent with how my heart ought to be as a follower of Christ? So if you know where you've failed there, take some time and ask God for forgiveness. Man, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I would not be a faithful gospel gospel preacher if all he did was make us feel bad that we don't do enough for the needy around us. But rather, we know that we were needy and a God who forgives when we fail to meet the needs of the needy that God reveals to us. So why don't you reach out and receive the forgiveness of times where you failed? And then turn the corner in that conversation with the Lord and say, God, help me know what it would look like to meet that need or to meet a need of that needy person. Now, I'm not saying that there are not boundaryless, unwise things that you should do. You ought to know And in Proverbs, there's all sorts of boundaries on those who are foolish and wasting and those who are wise. I understand that in your situation, you may be looking at it and going, okay, in this instance, the best thing to do to help is to help in a different way than what they're asking. I I understand that. But don't turn your heart against them. Seek to help them. You might say, Tim, you don't understand. They're going to take advantage of me. Yes, they will. Part of the beauty of the gospel, uh, uh, blessed are the uh, gentle in spirit. I mean, Jesus said that literally is a word that means like, I have strength, but I'm not flexing it. You you will be, your, your parents, if your parents, your kids will take advantage of you. If you're a friend, your friend at some point will take advantage of you. They will, they will uh, leverage your kindness or your gift for the sake of gain in their own life. I, I understand that. But there's a part of us because of the gospel that knows, I know I'm going to get taken advantage of, but this is what God's called me to do. Again, not casting off all biblical wise boundaries, but rather understanding that in this, I'm setting up myself. I may be hurt, but I know that my God can heal. What would it look like this week to find someone around you who's asking for help and you know they'll never give it back? And to meet them in their Let's pray over that for a minute. Let's allow the Lord to open our minds to see a real answer for that. 
And then at the end this week, look for that opportunity. If you say, I don't know anyone who's needy, in this moment, pray that God would give you somebody. Be the gospel to that person. Help them see someone who believes in God, who loves them with everything and wants to love their neighbor as themselves. spend a couple of minutes in prayer and then I'll pray and close us out as we stand and sing the last song. Father, I thank you that by your spirit, you're doing a work. God, you're doing a work in this church to continue to serve those around us who will never give anything back to us. Lord, I know that that is fruit of your spirit within your church. And that is the work of the gospel of the Christ life being lived out of us. Lord, may our testimony be the same as Jesus's. That the spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news, the gospel to the poor. God, would you send us to proclaim freedom to those who are captive? Lord, would you send us to help those who are blind to your truth to see? Would you send us to set free those who are oppressed and to declare the beautiful year of your favor as the gospel gets real in their life? Lord, for any in here who don't know who you are, have never come to a place where they've confessed their sins and believed on Jesus Christ to be saved. God, I pray that right now you would stir in their hearts that desire. And that, God, they would have the courage and conviction right when the service is over to come talk with me or with one of the other pastors at the front. 
Lord, help us to respond. And this week, God, would you be honored by every person in this room and every person who hears this sermon of the love that you show through your congregation to those who are needy in our area. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.